Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Dr. Harlan Betts, and I'm delighted to welcome you to Wisdom from Above, where we go beyond the reasoning of man to the revelation of God. This Wisdom from Above is found in the Bible, and we've been investigating the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. A Marine Corps instructor had just chewed out a new recruit. At the end of his rant, he said, I guess when I die, you'll come and dance on my grave. The kid said, Not me, sir. I promised myself that when I got out of the Marines, I'd never stand in another line. <laughs> it seems to me that people are standing in line to dance on the grave of the Bible the Ten Commandments, the gift of life, the person of Christ, and Christians. But this is nothing new. Titus Flavius Domitian wanted to dance on the grave of Christianity. He was the emperor of Rome during the first century. He applied to himself all the attributes of a god, and he wanted to be worshipped and endured as a god. He saw Christ as a threat to the glory and worship of the emperors. Because of the Apostle John's commitment to the Word of God and his testimony of Jesus Christ, Domitian exiled him to the Alcatraz-like island of Patmos, a Roman penal colony off the coast of Asia Minor. He was hoping he could wipe out Christianity and those who promoted it. But while on the Isle of Patmos, John is given a vision, and John wrote the book of the Revelation while exiled at Patmos. The book of Revelation focuses on the second coming of Christ, and is actually laid out in three chronological sections. According to Revelation 1.19, John is commanded to record the things which he has seen, the past, the things which are now, the present, and the things that shall be hereafter, the future. John records the past vision in chapter 1, the sevenfold vision of Christ. John records the present vision in chapters 2 and 3, the seven letters to the seven churches. Then John records a future vision in chapters 4 through 22. You see, the church is raptured to heaven after chapters 2 and 3. And we're given a glimpse of worship in heaven in chapters 4 and 5. Then the tribulation is described in chapters 6 through 18. It is laid out in three sets of judgments. The seal, seven seal judgments, chapters 4 to 7. A fourth of the world is destroyed by Antichrist, war, famine, death, martyrdom, cosmic disturbances, then there's silence. The seven trumpet judgments are revealed in chapters 8 to 14, where a third of the world is impacted. A third of vegetation burned, a third of ocean life destroyed, a third of fresh water polluted, a third of luminaries darkened, five months unbelievers are tormented by demons, and a third of mankind is killed in battle. Then we see the seven 
bold judgments in chapters 15 to 18, where all of the world is impacted with bitter sores, bloody seas, bloody fresh water, burning sun, biting darkness, a barren riverbed, big earthquakes, and hailstones. And now, Jesus is about to reveal his eagerly anticipated return to earth in chapter 19. But before he does, he reveals the destruction of both religious and commercial Babylon. Revelation chapter 17 describes the destruction of religious Babylon, the scarlet harlot. Revelation chapter 18 reveals the destruction of commercial Babylon, the mighty city. The scarlet harlot of chapter 17 represents religious Babylon, the immoral and idolatrous one-world religion. This scarlet harlot, this one-world religion, is in an unholy alliance with the Antichrist, who happens to be referred to as the scarlet beast, This one-world religion gladly persecutes and joyfully executes those who are believers in Jesus Christ. But at the midpoint of the tribulation, the Antichrist turns against this one-world religion and destroys her and sets himself up as the God to be worshipped. The ecumenical one-world, one-church movement is leading us to religious Babylon. The mighty city of chapter 18 represents commercial Babylon. The famous, fabulously rich trade center of the evil empire ruled by the Antichrist is commercial Babylon. The evil empire is a western confederacy of ten nations referred to as the revived Roman Empire. The Antichrist has established a world trade center in the revived Roman Empire. And this commercial trade center is referred to as Babylon. This refers to a satanic system that seeks control through one world governance and one world finance. There are two main views regarding the mighty city commercial Babylon. View one is that the term Babylon is a reference to the ancient city of Babylon rebuilt as the capital of revived Roman Empire. But view two is the view that the term Babylon refers to Rome as the capital of the revived Roman Empire. Many Bible scholars believe that Babylon is a symbolic reference to Rome. You might ask, well, why Rome? First of all, the Antichrist heads up the political revived Roman Empire, according to Daniel 7 and Revelation 13. And it would make sense that the capital's commercial city of the revived Roman Empire would be Rome. Secondly, we saw in Revelation chapter 17 that Babylon is referred to as Mystery Babylon, which indicates there's more to this term than meets the eye. Mystery Babylon referred to the one world false religion system centered in Rome during the tribulation period. And by the way, in 1 Peter, we also see a reference to Babylon, which is clearly a reference to Rome. 
But thirdly, we now see in Revelation chapter 18 that Babylon is the one world commercial capital of the revived Roman Empire during the tribulation period. We see signs of commercial Babylon in the United Nations, in the World Economic Forum, in the globalist agenda, in the anti-population movement. We're seeing signs of commercial Babylon in the inevitable collapse of the U.S. dollar. We see signs of commercial Babylon in the move toward a central bank digital currency. The One World, New World Order movement is leading us to commercial Babylon. We need to distinguish religious Babylon and commercial Babylon. They're both under the leadership of the Antichrist, the head of the revived Roman Empire. They're both a city and a system under satanic control, but they are distinct. The destruction of religious Babylon is described in chapter 17. The fall of commercial Babylon is described in chapter 18. Religious Babylon rules the empire the first three and a half years of the tribulation and rides the Antichrist, the Scarlet Beast. Commercial Babylon rules the empire the last three and a half years of the tribulation. Religious Babylon is destroyed at the midpoint of the tribulation. Commercial Babylon is not destroyed until the end of the tribulation. Religious Babylon is destroyed by the kings of the revived Roman Empire under the leadership of the Antichrist. Commercial Babylon is destroyed by cataclysmic judgments of God. The kings of the revived Roman Empire rejoice over the destruction of religious Babylon. But the kings of the earth will mourn over the destruction of commercial Babylon. We're about to look at a passage that reveals the mournful grief of men and women who've lost everything they have loved. Men and women who see everything they have loved and lived for disappear right before their very eyes. What they do not realize is that their brief time of wailing here on earth is just a prelude to the, their eternal cries that will never leave their lips in the lake of fire. They were offered life, but they refused it for Babylon. And now Babylon is taken from them. Donald Gray Barnhouse, one of the greatest expositors of my dad's generation, was a tremendous Bible scholar, a committed pre-tribulational, pre-millennial theologian. His commentary in the book of Revelation is scholarly, devotional, and understandable. You see, Dr. Barnhouse knew that Jesus' command was to feed God's sheep, not feed his giraffes. So Dr. Barnhouse always put the cookies on the lower shelf where everybody could reach them. He purposely made things as clear and as simple as possible, and that is my goal as well. Dr. Barnhouse tells the following story. One time, on a transatlantic steamship, we were in the midst of a chess game surrounded by a group of ungodly men who were watching. Something was said that caused us to speak a word of witness, and the conversation turned immediately to a religious topic. 
one of the men told a funny story. Here's how the story went. A man died and went to hell, and a good friend met him and started to show him around. They'd been great golfers, and the newcomer suddenly saw a golf course. His eyes lit up, but he noted that his friend who had been there a long time did not seem happy. They walked out on the golf course, and the newcomer exclaimed with delight at the beauty of the course, the greens, and the fairways. The earth had never had anything like this. They came to a beautiful clubhouse, and there were golf clubs so finely balanced and so well made, the newcomer was sure he'd be able to drive the ball 400 yards. He turned and asked his friend for some balls. The friend answered, that's the hell of it. There are no balls. <laughs> no matter how you express it, the place of eternal torment is a place of unfulfilled desires. The drunkard will have his consuming thirst with nothing to slake it. The one who's lived for riches, honor, and fame will find himself cut off from these forever. The one who sought the luxuries and comforts and pleasures of this earth will find none of these in hell. There will actually be no beautiful golf course and fairways in hell to walk through. It will be like a lake of fire. The desire for happiness will not be fulfilled. The desire for pleasure will not be fulfilled. The desire for comfort will not be fulfilled. The desire for rest will not be fulfilled. The desire for privileges and honor will not be fulfilled. Those in hell will be cut up from God and from the place he would have willingly prepared for them. There is no joy and there is no gain, but only a time of grief and loss for those who miss heaven and go to hell. Well, that's probably more than enough background. Let's dig into Revelation chapter 18. We'll see the announcement given by the angel, and then the appeal of God, the dejection of nations, the delight of the saints. First of all, the announcement of the, given by the angel in verses 1 through 3. And the announcement is highlighted in chapter 18, verse 2. Babylon is fallen, is fallen. Is fallen is said twice. It's possible this is said twice because religious Babylon has fallen. And now commercial Babylon is going to fall. In addition, it's possible that it is said twice in order to emphasize the certainty of the fall of Babylon. Religious Babylon had reached its height of immorality and idolatry religiously and was destroyed. Commercial Babylon will reach its height of greed and godlessness financially and it will be destroyed. Now the angel declares that both have fallen. This is written in the dramatic aorist tense, which means that this fall of Babylon is so certain that it's said in the past tense. Commercial Babylon is the governmental headquarters of the revived Roman Empire and the financial headquarters of the one world banking system. During the tribulation, we will see commercial Babylon in its peak as it controls the finances and commerce of the world. But it will fall. 
And as this passage says, it will become a prison of every unclean spirit and a place of demons. That is, Babylon will become utterly God-forsaken. Why? Well, three reasons are given for God's judgment. First, her corrupting influence on the nations of the world. There's a demonic idolatry that infiltrates this one-world religion and ultimately the worship of the Antichrist. Second, the kings of the earth fornicated with her. There's a deluding immorality as the powerful people, the kings, are involved complicitly with commercial Babylon, taking advantage of others, destroying others, killing others, and being both sexually and politically immoral. Third, the merchants of earth were corrupted with their selfish greed. There is a depraved greed, a horrible, immoral lust for money. Uh, before I go on, I just could maybe ask three questions. There's demonic idolatry. Has something taken God's place in your life? There's deluding immorality. Have you fallen into the trap of accepting immorality as acceptable? There's depraved greed. Have you been caught up in a lust for illicit immoral gain? Well, after the announcement of the angel, the appeal is given by God in verses 4 through 8. We see the appeal in verse 4. Come out of her, my people. Lest you share in her sins, lest you receive of her plagues. So the appeal is to come out, to get out. And don't be like Lot who was living in Sodom and Gomorrah. Come out from among her. Get out. Don't, if you stay, you will share in her sins you will receive her plagues. So we shouldn't live like an unsaved pagan lives. It's not just talking about getting out of the city, but out of the system. Stay away from it. Don't be like everyone else who's willing to compromise and and conform to the world. Instead, take a stand and be transformed by the word. And then he explains why they need to come out. Because this city and her system's sins have reached to heaven. And God has remembered her iniquities, it says. And then it says, render her to her, this city and system of Babylon, just as she rendered to you and repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she mixed, mixed double for her. In the measure she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I said as queen, I'm not a widow, I will not see sorrow. Therefore, 
Her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she'll be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. So there will be a day of judgment for this city and system of immorality and idolatry and financial luxury that is taking advantage of others. There's that sow and reap principle. Whatever you sow, that you will also reap. There's that bad company principle. Bad company corrupts good morals. We need to sow what is right, and we need to stick with good company. Then we see the dejection of nations in verses 9 and 10. First of all, the king's lament. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and live luxuriously with this city and system of Babylon will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. Why are the kings lamenting? Because their source a pleasure is destroyed. And then it tells us in verses 11 to 19 that the merchants are lamenting. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood and bronze and iron and marble, and cinnamon and incense, friggin' oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and bodies and souls of men. Don't miss that, I'll come back to it. It goes on to say, The fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, for in one hour such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who traveled by ship and sailors and as many as traded on the sea, stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, what is like this great city? They threw dust in their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she's made desolate. Did you notice that the merchandise included not only silver and gold, and materials and metals and food and animals and spices, but it also included the bodies and souls of men? I believe this is a reference to human sex trafficking. This commercial Babylon, this one world government and banking system, will be intoxicated with immoral sex. Our world today is already covering up sex trafficking. Just look at the southern border immigrants and the Epstein list. So the merchants are lamenting. Why? They lament because their source of income is destroyed. 
They put their treasure in things on earth where moth and rust can corrupt. Then in verses 20 to 24, we see the delight of the saints. Really, it says rejoice. It's a command that's encouraging them to go ahead, feel free, rejoice. Rejoice, O heavens. This could be representing angelic beings or others who are there in heaven at the time. Rejoice, O saints. This could mean all believers. Rejoice, apostles. Most likely, this is a reference to the New Testament apostles. Rejoice, prophets. Most likely, this is a reference to the Old Testament prophets. Why are they to rejoice? Well, first, it is God's judgment on this corrupt but mighty and luxurious city. Second, not just that it is God's judgment, but it is against this mighty city, this mystery Babylon, who will be thrown down like casting a millstone over a cliff. The music of instrumentalists and vocalists will never be heard in this city again. The workers and the sound of their work will never be found in this city again. The light of a lamp will never shine in this city again. The voice of the bride and bridegroom will never be heard in this city again. It is a final judgment. It is God's judgment. It is a final judgment. And number three, it is a just judgment. Because this commercial revived Roman government under the leadership of the Antichrist and the global elite, deceived nations, according to verse 23, and murdered saints, according to verse 24. Let me share three points of application. Number one, don't be deceived by Satan. The serpent of old called the devil and Satan has a strategy for our defeat. His target is the mind His method is deceit. He prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He comes to steal our love, kill our hope, and destroy our faith. The Bible warns that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. And I sometimes struggle to understand how people can do what they do today, or teach what they teach, or condone what they condone, And it's got to be because their consciences have been seared with a hot iron, that they've been deceived, and they've given heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Don't get caught up in the religion of man and miss the reality of God. The Apostle Paul gives us this warning in 2 Timothy chapter 3. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying his power, and from such people, turn away. My dear friends, savage times will come. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of pleasure, lovers of money, rather than lovers of God. They will be brutal, despisers of good. Christians will come under fierce attack. They'll hold a form of godliness, but deny the true God. They'll claim to be Christ-like, or following Christ, when in fact, 
They're destroying Christians and the church. Second, don't be conformed to this world. This world is filled with destructive influences and activities. Believers can become entrapped and enmeshed in things of this world. Believers can become conformed to and corrupted by this world. Economically, Babylon represents the pride of wealth and prosperity. The spirit that longs for the lifestyle of the rich and famous. The spirit of covetousness and commercialism. The spirit of money and power. The spirit of greed and godlessness. We must fight a lifestyle of greed and cultivate contentment. We must flee a lifestyle of immorality and cultivate purity. We must avoid drunkenness and drug abuse and maintain sobriety. Whatever we sow, that we will also reap. Don't sow to the flesh and hope for crop failure. Sow to the Spirit and expect an abundant harvest. We're to love God, not the world. Jesus said we're to be in the world, but not of the world. Please note, he calls for insulation, not isolation. In the world, but not of the world. We're to be shining a light in the darkness. We're to be transformed by the Word, not conformed to the world. We're to let the light of Christ shine in our workplace, our school, our neighborhood, our home, our church. Are you letting the light of Christ shine before your family and friends? And finally, number three, don't be confused about your life. The men and women of Revelation 18 thought more of their stuff than they did of God's Son. They grieved over the destruction of their city, but they never grieved over the crucifixion of their Savior. They mourned their temple loss, but did not know enough to mourn their eternal loss. And God is not mocked. He's the Lord God of recompense. He will bring about absolute justice. Don't be confused. Missing out on a few pleasures in time does not compare to missing out on all pleasure for eternity. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. God's wrath must be poured out on sin. Sin's wages are death. Either we will experience that wrath of God on sin ourselves for eternity, or we will accept Christ's payment for us. An old rancher was walking across the barnyard following a prairie fire. Many of his buildings were burned to the ground, and some of his livestock had been destroyed. He kicked the charred body of an old hen that had been burned to a crisp. Out from under her body ran several little chicks. She had laid down her life for her chicks. She experienced the wrath of the fire so those chicks who had come under her wings could be saved. Jesus experienced the wrath of God so those who come under his wings could be saved. Jesus once said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have gathered you to myself as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. The only safe place in a prairie fire is a place where the fire's already been. Even so for us, the only safe place for God's judgment is a place where God's judgment has already been. And it's already been to Calvary, Golgotha, the cross of Jesus Christ. Have you gone to the cross? Have you turned to Christ? Have you come under his wings? Have you personally trusted in him and his death and his full and final payment for all our sins? Some of you are thinking, I'd like to come to Jesus. I'd like to come under the shadow of his wings. 
I'd like to have my sins forgiven. I'd like to trust in Jesus as my Savior. How do I come to him? What do I have to do? Well, you come to him just as you are. Jesus' arms are wide open. He longs to forgive you. He longs to welcome you. His blood was shed for you. Trust in him for forgiveness and eternal life. The songwriter put it this way. Just as I am, without one plea, but that Jesus' blood was shed for me, and that God bids me to come to him, O Lamb of God, I come. I come. Trust in Jesus, who died for you and rose from the dead. And you have eternal life. Well, that's a wrap on this episode of Wisdom from Above. I'm honored that you're part of my listening family. Please share this podcast with your family and your friends. I'm eagerly anticipating meeting with you next week when we'll look at Revelation chapter 19. We'll see Jesus Christ coming back to earth as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. This is Dr. Harlan Betts, wishing you a great week and God's blessings. Thank you for joining me in this passionate quest for wisdom from above.